college is the only option for success. It's the only means of success. And I totally internalized that. But the kind of malignant part of that internalization was I can't just go to any college. I have to go to a college that feels like it is achieving something to go there. Welcome to Unlocking College Life. Real talk about all things college. The best part of this podcast is that your voice is part of the show. Other students care what you have to say. So through your questions, your feedback, and your real talk, we all grow together. Let's dive in with your hosts, Joy and Alona. Welcome back to Unlocking College Life. We are joined by a student who's had maybe an unusual journey through a number of different colleges and universities, Mace, and I am going to let them introduce themselves and talk a little bit about why they're here. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Mace Peterson, and I use they them pronouns. I am currently an undergraduate at Amherst College in Massachusetts, which is part of a five-college consortium, including Smith College, Hampshire College, UMass, and Mount Holyoke, a very formidable set of institutions in this area, in the Pioneer Valley specifically. And I'm here because I think I'm really invested in conversations surrounding one's identity and mental health as it evolves in college, right? So like as like a queer person, but also someone who's various mental health diagnoses, I find that I have been able to uncover or unlock (laughs) a lot of knowledge about myself by kind of putting myself in this like pressure boiler or this crucible that is college and seeking education. Welcome, welcome. We're very excited to have you here. And I would really love for you to share with our listeners your journey because you started at a community college, is that correct? And there are some videos floating about you out there. And we happen to watch at least one of them with a lot of ovations and sort of faculty having to say a lot of great things about you and sort of how you got where you are. So I think it would be a shame for us to not unpack that and how you got here. And frankly, what we have sort of learned about you is even prior to college and your resilient just your path is just full of a lot of great things that we would love for you to share if you would my ego is like swelling so i'll try to kind of revert back to kind of before community college because there was a bit of a journey there as well so i grew up in western north carolina and it was a very kind of poverty stricken community and i identify as first in low income and when i was seeking out college i had no idea where i was going to go in high school I didn't even know exactly what I wanted to study. I had just these very nebulous ideas of what I wanted to do. And I had a teacher who told me there's this liberal arts school in Kentucky, Berea College, which is just the college for poor kids. They have this great zero tuition policy if you are admitted. And I just thought, that's it. That's the option. That's for me. I had no awareness of colleges that were like Amherst, where they were need blind, completely need blind. And so... I entered into my Berea experience kind of expecting that I would, if I didn't know exactly how I wanted to go about my education, that I would just kind of figure it out by osmosis. And so I got to Berea and it was the exact opposite. I just was kind of fumbling my way through. It was my first time not only being separate from family, but the systems that were in place family and otherwise that really kept me above water in high school with all of my undiagnosed stuff, they were gone. And I really was just kind of, I was out in the water in the kind of 
violent ocean that was college. And I reached a point, a breaking point after a year. And I just, I thought I can't come back here if A, I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but what I want to do. And so I left and there was a lot of traveling after that. There was a lot of trying to find my bearings. Like I went back to North Carolina for a bit. Then I moved to Oregon for a few months. I moved to Louisiana for like two weeks. There was just a lot going on. And I ended up eventually reaching a point of real crisis with mental health. I was institutionalized for a few days. And really after that experience, I knew that there was like a bottom that I could reach and that I had to really kind of climb my way out of it. Otherwise, I was kind of, I had no means of control. And that's really the kind of thread I think that goes in the story of my life in terms of school. It's like, I really just had no orientation. I had no way to know how I could find that control. And I think that's also been the thing that's kind of like shot me in the foot sometimes is really where is the control when there is no such thing, which is kind of grim, but I think it's the truth. So couple years down the road, I end up, it's a really odd story, but I love it. I end up moving in with the ex-friend of my ex-boyfriend. And because we got to know each other very well via this relationship that I was in. And she and her husband, basically, they became my chosen family. They saw that I was just completely disoriented and had no means of control over my life. And they were like, we want to give you a place to stay. (laughs) Obviously, where you're living, where you're staying is not safe. North Carolina was a very precarious place for me to live as both a queer person and as someone who had wanted to do bigger things with my life, whatever that means. So... They took me in Maine, and I never thought I would move to Maine. I didn't know where Maine was growing up. Never thought about it. I ended up in this place where I didn't have any kind of attachment to it whatsoever. But then the beauty of that is I got to create my own attachments to it. I got to create my own narrative of what this place meant to me. And it turns out it's one of my favorite places on Earth. I guess I am curious It seems like where you grew up, there wasn't a lot of normalizing of the college experience anyway. You said that even when the Kentucky opportunity was presented to you, you knew, yes. So what kept the thread of going to college there amidst all of this other turmoil? I've been trying to answer that question for a long time. I think it comes from this kind of first-gen low-income complex that's developed where you think college is the apex of achievement. And it's the way of, it's the means of proving to not only to your peers, but to yourself, to the world, that you are capable and that you can realize these kind of visions that you have for the future. And also that's, I think, part of the problematic aspect of what messaging that we receive about college is college is the only option for success. It's the only means of success. And I totally internalized that. But the kind of malignant part of that internalization was I can't just go to any college. I have to go to a college that feels like it is achieving something to go there. Hence why I ended up applying to schools like Amherst, which is just extremely private and extremely selective, problematically selective school. I have so many thoughts about that because you could hear it. You've said it twice now. You've sort of critiqued the elitas of an Amherst. And so I want to get to that, but I don't want to skip to that yet because we haven't even heard the story of how you got there. So it sounded like your experience in Kentucky was, I can't remember what you said, you were like swimming in the middle of a violent ocean. But there was something about once you got the main college system, something shifted. So besides having this chosen family, which is huge as like your anchor, what happened there for you to sort of 
find your way in the college environment. When I moved to Maine for the first time, I remember being in the car with my best friend's husband and we passed by the community college that I would eventually go to. And I was like, oh, that could be an option for me. I could potentially go there. And so it was always on the periphery of exploration. And when I finally started applying to school, I really went into the intention of, okay, I'm going to go to this community college and I'm going to absolutely knock it out of the park. Like I didn't consciously think that, but I think I had this energy and this kind of focus of, I want to maximize this experience. And if I can do that, then who's to say what will happen next? And I thought transferring could be that opportunity. It would probably be the thing that I would do because I still had those internalized messages of go to this school to that be the springboard of what you're going to do. That's big in the world. So that's what I eventually did. I maximized every opportunity that I could while being at KBCC, shout out. And I really, that came from like developing close relationships to my professors, professors like Carrie Hall, who I love very much, and people like Brian and also Jenny Durr. All these people at the school who really, I remember telling one of my, his name is Mike, and he's a professor there. I remember telling him one of the first couple of days that I was talking to people about college and transferring, I told Mike that I wanted to transfer to Brown. And the great thing about that reaction that he had was like, he didn't skip a beat. He was just, okay, well, let's just think about the steps that it will take for you to do that, knowing full well that that was probably near to impossible. And it was. That's the energy that KVCC faculty give you, professors. They want to meet you where you're at, no matter where you're at. If you have high ambitions, they want to be the support of that experience, of that dream. And so that, I think, was really the reason not just because of my impetus and my ambition, but that was kind of the special ingredient that caused me to get to where I am today with the support of my chosen family as a part of that as well. But having these professors say, well, what do you want to do? And if you want to do it, then we'll try to make it happen. Kind of oscillate between the kind of fantasy that I created in my own head and then the brutal reality. (laughs) I'll walk around campus or I'll be in class or I will just kind of think about the culture that exists here. And there is that side of me that thinks what I was surrounded by, the intentions. The word I think that I'm looking for is just the kind of mindset. There was a different kind of ideas of what people wanted to do. And for me, I think that it's a double-edged sword where if I didn't end up in a place like Amherst, I think there would be a lot would not have realized about myself in both the right and not so constructive way. I think that this education, which is amazing, it is, the fact that I entered into this education thinking that it was only accessible to this certain echelon of people, like the really complicated, the really just tragic part of my thinking behind that is that it's completely false. Like I'm now at a point where I'm realizing that this type of education should not be exclusive. It should not be for a certain echelon of people that like I was talking about this the other day with a person that I work with. She and I were kind of going off about why acceptance rates are so low at these types of schools. And really, what does that entail? What does that mean for students like me who grew up in the areas that I did? What does that mean for my family who probably had some ideas of what they wanted to do and probably thought college could be an opportunity, but they didn't have the right guidance? They didn't have a support system at KBCC or a chosen family saying, well, where are your ambitions? Let's take you there. I think you're leading towards this is you ended up in this place that you 
kind of realized you ultimately wanted to be. And now it is serving you, but there's something in the back of your self that's also probably feels like a little bit of discomfort being there. So there seems like there's a so what and a why. What are you doing in that space to make that known? Because I get the sense you're not just like not talking about it. Well, and I would even say not only I want to know what are you doing to make it work? What's helping you? Yeah, what are the pearls of wisdom now that you are here? I'm so fortunate to have people like myself that are on campus. I have a community of first and low income people. I have a community of transfer students, which I will give Amherst College this credit where it is due. I would not have felt as capable of success or as capable of just being in the classrooms that I've been in without kind of curating of that community. Like we even said amongst ourselves entering into the experience, we feel like we were like made for each other because we all like we really have such, we are fond of each other and we're fond of each other's backgrounds and of each other's ambitions. I think transfer students, I think first gen low income students, the like nexus of ambition on this campus. I think that we're really great at underselling ourselves, even though we overcompensate to the nth degree. And I think the flip side of that is we're all struggling to survive simultaneously with not the education. I want to make it clear that it's not a matter of intelligence or comprehensiveness or a lack of comprehension. It's really, we are intention with the institution by being the students that we are. We are intention with the messaging. We are intention with the culture because we look at the culture and we see that there's a very specific archetype of students that it's been trying to breed for generations now. And I'm sure we all know the idea of what I'm talking about. We're talking about the very wealthy, obnoxiously wealthy and obnoxiously networked (laughs) circle of people that come here. And that's not dissimilar from a lot of higher ed elitism. And so what would you say to someone who's more back in the space you were in when you were still sort of, I don't know if college is even the way or where to even start? What what did you need to hear? Because what I also wonder, and we've talked about this a couple of times, is in one of the speeches we heard about you, the woman talked about like having grit, right? And it's like, sometimes that word can also have sort of two meanings. Yes, grit resilience is like part of your story because it had to be. And it's also, why do I have to do all this? Right? And so, so I'm just curious what we would say to those folks that might just really be at the beginning of this kind of journey. I would have many approaches to the answering of that question. But I would think that if I weren't in a room where the politics were kind of not apparent, if I were in a room of people where I felt like I could just say whatever I wanted without any consequence, I would tell myself when I was at KBCC, I would say, pump the brakes, first off. Whatever ambitions you have, they are achievable regardless of where you go to school. If the idea is to appeal to a certain echelon of people so that you can network your way into that ambition, that success, then you're going to have to play that game. You're just going to have to do that while you're in school. I had a friend once tell me that when you come to a place like this, you're not just taking your academic classes, you're taking other classes simultaneously. You're taking the classes of life and also being who you are. It's that tension I'm referring to. I would tell myself and other people like myself that 
what you think is this kind of unilateral way, this unilateral trajectory of success, your ideas of success. I would honestly ask myself to deconstruct that. What is the success that you're talking about? Is it the appeal to the echelon of people? Or are you actually driven by a, an earnestness to achieve, which I think is valid. I think that as a first-gen low-income student, if you apply to a college like Amherst or like Brown, any of the LACs, if your drive is to enter into these institutions to disrupt them, to make yourself known in them, I think that's completely okay. I think that that is actually what needs to happen. We need to be disrupting and inserting ourselves and saying, we exist. We see right through what you're trying to serve us on this dish. And if there was a way that I could say that to me that protected my dreams, <laughs> I would want to be nice to myself and I would try to do that. But I would really start at this point of, okay, what do you actually want to do and how do you want to do it? As my ambition was, I want to work in film industry. I want to work as an independent filmmaker. I want to be a creative person who actually has agency, who's able to make whatever I want to make and do that for a living. And doing that requires you to kind of check certain boxes. Not all the time. Again, there are various paths that you can go through to do that. But as someone who had that idea, that ambition, I thought that college was going to be the only way where I could realize that dream because I wasn't wealthy. I didn't have a trust fund. I didn't have a parent who could say, okay, move to LA or New York and we'll support you in this journey. I just had my main family and that's all I needed. That's really all I needed to pursue anything. I know that they're going to be watching this later, so I have to make this known. They are the primary support of my dreams of being a filmmaker. They have helped me make films. They have been co-creators of these projects with me. And that, I think, is what I would want to encourage other people who have similar interests, who think college is the way to go. I would say, don't go to college because you want to learn how to make them. Start making things. Start exercising that muscle. But also, in the midst of that, think about how you want your ambition to manifest. Do you think that you could be happy just making films with your friends? Or do you feel like you would want to reach the echelon of people so that your films are seen in like a wide audience, if that is possible, which can't even talk about the elitism of the film industry, because that's an entirely different conversation. We had a guest a couple of weeks ago who is in the world of business. And we spoke about how certain schools have even connections to certain alumni in certain areas. It's pretty targeted. The connections and the name can open a lot of doors. So I wonder if what do you say to that? I don't necessarily think that college is always the way to go, but it can certainly open some doors. Certainly. And I think it depends on the industry. I think it depends on what exactly it is you are planning to do with your life. I would say that for a college like Amherst, if you are thinking about being a creative person in the industry, I think that you do have to think about those connections regardless and the opportunities and resources that are at your disposal, because that is really what you should be looking at so that you can get to a place where your content, where your portfolio is being seen. 
Yeah, I think that's my, my short answer to that. I think it goes back to the whole, what I was talking about in terms of, you know, just making things. <laughs> I think another kind of messaging that I internalized growing up is that you can make things and you can love doing the thing that you're doing. But in order for that thing to be validated, you have to have a wide audience. You have to be quote unquote famous. You have to be the Steven Spielbergs and the, those types of people. And I think that that has a direct link to why I thought a place like Amherst would be the ideal thing. It's because I knew that Amherst had those types of connections. We had those alumni. We have David O. Russell, who is an incredibly formidable filmmaker now in Hollywood, among others. And yeah, I would say that the caveat here that I think is worthy of mentioning is that just like this type of education should not be exclusive and cut off from the world. I also think that these industries should not be so cut off from the world. So much of the jobs that are acquired in that industry among many other industries is through networking. It's through word of mouth. It's through, I know this person's work. And so, or I know this person and this person knows this person. It's a whole kind of fractalization of knowing. And I think resources, so connections and resources. Recently, I listened to Mike Mikulovic, who has a bunch of business books out there, and he was interviewed. And the gist of it was, there are a lot of people who have written decent books, right? But not every book makes it really to the top. And a lot of that is the pre-marketing that takes resources to get the name out there, to get the initial reviews, whatever it takes. So connections, networking and resources. That is very kind of closely familiarized. I want to make that known. It is not a natural connection. The familiarization and the kind of, I'll just use that word. It's, it's a familiarization of the relationship between capital and creative success. So I know we're running out of time, but I also know that when you were in Maine, I think you were part of founding the Pride Alliance. And I just wonder if you want to talk about that and or what you're finding at Amherst in terms of the work that you're doing sort of on the ground, student orgs, that sort of thing. So there were kind of a few manifestations of a Pride Alliance sort of thing before I got there. I won't say never got off the ground because that would be a disrespect to that those people who worked so hard to get off the ground. But I would say that there was never at community colleges, it's very difficult to maintain a consistency, especially for identity-based groups, especially if you're as small as KVCC. It's very difficult. And so I didn't really enter into that idea of wanting to build a Pride Alliance. I wanted there to be longevity, but really I just wanted there to be availability. I wanted to think about the students who were there who needed that level of support. And also I was thinking about education. I was thinking about the fact that, no, I didn't feel like anybody was really trying to talk about gender in the classroom. I didn't think that as someone who was exploring gender stuff, as someone who was still trying to have a conversation with themselves about gender and about sexuality, I felt like there was a lacking. And I think that plays more into the default that is the default homophobia and transphobia that exists in our world, rather than just what KBCC is as an institution. Although I do have some thoughts about certain members of that institution who would be honestly fine not talking about it. But I found Pride Alliance. I probably would not have known that there were other trans people other queer people on that campus without Pride Alliance. I wouldn't have met the people who I have so much love and affection for now without at least trying to make that happen. And I don't think there would have been as much of a faculty level of support if there hadn't been some type of tangible community to see. I think that the faculty did have this craving 
to want to support students like that, but it has to be a student-led project in order for that to happen. Predominantly commuter campus? Yes. And I think that that can be harder too, to have student groups and student organization as a result of that. It wasn't necessarily member retention, it was more member attendance. Some people just couldn't make it because of XYZ reasons, but ABCC has kind of two main campuses. They're not terribly far from each other, but they're far enough. And one of them is kind of far enough away from certain communities in like the greater Waterville, greater Fairfield area. It's far enough away. It is difficult for people. And also the type of students who go to KBCC don't often have consistency as a luxury in terms of their resources. And sometimes we wouldn't have someone come to a meeting because they were struggling with class or they had kids or they had a job. And that's totally, we had to make room for that. And that's even why it's more important because, I mean, for some of those folks that probably found it, in some cases meant they stayed at college instead of abandoning it for the, for to actually be in a community where they feel seen. And so much of your story and so, and I think there's a lot of students out there who can see themselves at different places and at different connections in your journey because it really is nonlinear in so many ways. And so I really appreciate that and just want to give you space to if you have any last thoughts you want to share that you didn't get to say. Thank you so much. I just really appreciate having a platform to talk about these things. These conversations are happening at the campus that I'm at right now, but I wish that they were more active and predominant in community college settings or just in high school, especially. I think that if I really had an audience for this podcast, it would be about high schoolers who come from backgrounds like who are thinking about pursuing this type of education. Because there's only so much you can do to convince a high schooler like of their value outside of higher ed, outside of capitalism. But I think that the attempt is necessary. It's so necessary to have these conversations. If anything, I don't know who is listening right now, but if, if you are listening and you're thinking about these things and you are a very ambitious person who wants to make these illustrious kind of impossible dreams happen, not impossible because of your capacity, but because of the world we live in, I would say that try to have grace on yourself because of that condition. Know that this is not about your lack of capacity or ambition or willingness to make it work. You are in direct conflict with a world that does not, quote unquote, have time or space for you. And I don't want to make that sound grim whatsoever, but I want to make sure that the reality of that is grounded in this conversation. Absolutely. And I think that for those of you that actually do enter into the college and university system, however you do, there are people, like you said, that can make a huge difference in helping you to find that next step. That's literally their jobs. When you were describing some of those people, I'm like, that's literally why I became a student affairs professional, because I had people like that in my life, too. So thank you so much for being with us today. And thank all of you out there. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us on your favorite pod platform. Share with your friends if this is making you think about and participate in college differently. We want to hear from you. Connect with us on Instagram and let us know how it's going. This podcast is not professional advice or replacement for therapy. If you need professional advice, you should find it with professionals in your area, such as your primary care physician or therapist.